Welcome to another episode of the Your Worth Taking Care Of series as part of Mental Health Awareness Week 2021, brought to you by Man Marking. To date, we have made just shy of 100 episodes of the Man Marking podcast, and we've been asking you, the listener, where's the talking? And we know that there are a lot more people talking now than when we started, and it's incredible to see. But the next step may be for you to do something more productive to improve your mental health and that may involve seeking out professional treatment and different types of therapy and that can be scary for a lot of people and it can be a huge step into the unknown so to help you we've put together seven episodes one for every day of mental health awareness week to give you some options of what treatment may be available and what may work best for you someone described it to me as kind of having your shot by two arrows one is the kind of initial um to say it was an injury that's the initial injury you know that pain is is physically there but you should kind of shoot yourself with a second arrow because you have a kind of secondary suffering which is your reaction to it which you know you kind of tense up you get nervous around it uh, you stop doing the things that 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 you enjoy because you, you kind of start to fear them and what mindfulness can do is kind of help you understand that secondary suffering better and hopefully there's no guarantee obviously but hopefully kind of help you with that secondary suffering you know there's there's no way it will be able to take away the the physical pain if, if something is is broken or, or there but it will help you kind of relate to it better to explore it as as a sensation rather than something you just don't want to engage with at all in today's episode We'll be speaking to Harry Rice from Lag on Mind and we'll be discussing mindfulness. Yeah, so I'm um, I'm Harry Rice. Uh, I was the the co-founder of a company called called Lag on Mind. Um, and I uh, set that up after uh, after I finished at university, I had had a few issues with, with my own mental health, which kind of revolved around chronic pain and which kind of morphs gradually into anxiety and, and eventually depression. And I kind of formed it because in a way I was incredibly unlucky in a way I was incredibly lucky because um, I, when I first went to my GP to kind of get, you know, get some help, uh, I, was, I was kind of dismissed with that. And, um, not dismissed I suppose is the wrong word but uh, I felt it wasn't taken seriously and so I went back a few times and eventually when it was taken seriously I uh, the GP said okay I'll prescribe you these drugs um, and um, and I'll put you on the waiting list for for where I I live it's called Healthy Minds but um, it was kind of a a I think it was 18 weeks my waiting list to have um, online CBT, which kind of had a guarantee of X amount of appointments. But after you finish those appointments, you kind of got 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 given out, and that was for someone, um, you know, with fairly not suicidal ideation, but suicidal thoughts. Uh, there was no kind of it, it never really got to the stage of planning anything, but. Um, but that was for someone who, yeah, I would consider myself fairly unwell. Um, luckily enough for me, so I suppose just I should say, I I didn't want to take the medication 
when I first got offered it because I was I, I didn't feel it was explained very well to me and I kind of felt that I suppose wrongly I, I, I it, would, it would adjust my my personality and change who I was so I initially uh, didn't take it and, and got put on the waiting list but the stage where I was incredibly lucky is that my uh, my dad's an NHS doctor and my mum's an NHS nurse um, so eventually I got to see one of their colleagues um, who is a, a clinical psychologist and it was it was seeing him you know, it's a guy called Yanni who who kind of I suppose revolutionized and changed my life and introduced me to to mindfulness we did CBT together um, and and from that I, I eventually started taking antidepressants and um, uh, and I suppose got better from there so a long rambling way of saying of saying that's why I kind of started Log on Mind because because um, I was interested in other people's journeys with mental health but I also felt the the provisions that I had been offered weren't particularly good uh, so I wanted to explore it a little more um, yeah I suppose that's that's kind of who I am <laughs> <laughs> no that's perfect Harry and I think you know thanks for thanks for sharing that and, and, and I think a lot of these uh, you know organisations like yourselves and other sort of grassroots organisations it's often from a a lived experience isn't it as to where these these sort of passions come from and i've 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 i've, I've got a, a fairly similar sort of i'm gonna call it an origin story but i don't think i'm a superhero but you know we <laughs> i've got a fairly similar story to you to, to you with with regards to that engagement with um with the gp and what have you and and yeah i, I was my, my mum's a pharmacist so when i was prescribed antidepressants it was I was in a similar boat to you that I had a clinician there that I could speak to who was who was in my corner, if you know what I mean, that was able yeah. to rationalise that. But I agree with you in so much as I only was able to get the information about the medication that I was taking because my mum's a pharmacist and was able to explain it to me. And I agree that I don't think there's enough information there for people around what is and isn't true about antidepressants in particular yeah, or people to be able to make up their minds appropriately about it. Absolutely, I think I think it's not their fault at all, but the kind of the way that mm, a lot of mental health issues are dealt with, with through GPs, where you have a kind of an allotted ten minute slot, mm. and because the waiting list for talking therapies is so long, it's kind of stopgap to prescribe your antidepressants. And I benefited, you know, I still take mine today. I take still quite, take quite a high dosage. I think they're for me, I was very lucky that the first one I took worked, um, whether it was placebo or not, I don't know, but it, the way I see antidepressants is that they enabled me to start doing other stuff to improve the quality of my life. So they kind of flatlined me enough to allow me to fully engage with kind of CBT, fully engage with mindfulness, allowed me to, to start getting back to doing things I love, like exercise and, and things like that. And, and that, kind of sets up a, a positive feedback loop where you start getting better and better and then you get better at doing the things that make you better which yeah. then kind of feeds all into that kind of positive feedback loop yeah that's very true that's exactly the way that somebody explained it to me when i was being going through that process was who was a friend of uh, a very close friend of my mum's who's a nurse and she said that she, when she took antidepressants that it was you know it kind of took all of the 
the messy stuff that was in her head and almost just parked it a few feet above her head for a moment and allowed her to be able to engage in, as you say, the, the things that will give her that sort of better quality of life. And I think that's a really nice way of explaining that, Harry. You, yeah. you, you've talked a couple of times, you've referenced mindfulness, and we're obviously yeah. here to talk about mindfulness. Could you give us a, you know, a bit of an overview, a bit of an introduction to what mindfulness is? Yeah, so I think it's probably interesting to 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 know where i started with it i kind of on a whim on kind of you know one of those dark evenings where you're not feeling great i downloaded headspace and i really initially i just didn't get on with it i just thought um i don't know if i'm allowed to swear or not but yeah swear away mate okay. i thought it was complete bullshit um, <laughs> and i did wonder what swear word you were going to go for <laughs> <laughs> and i thought you know how i'm in agony how is this how is this going to help um and to be honest that, that's i kind of parked it there for a while until i started seeing seeing my psychologist who introduced it to me in a different way and um actually introduced me to a book which which i would recommend to absolutely everyone which is um the, well there's two books one is called finding peace in a frantic world by danny penman and mark williams and the other one is mindfulness for health by by Danny Williams and uh, a woman called Vidmalia Birch. And it kind of strips it back and explains it through stories of people that are similar to you and explains the science behind it really well and, um, and gives you a guided program which takes you through an eight week course, which I found so helpful. Um, and the way that I would describe it, I think for something like chronic pain, someone described it to me as kind of having your shot by two arrows. One is the kind of initial, um, so say it was an injury, that's the initial injury, you know, that pain is is physically there, but you should kind of shoot yourself with a second arrow because you have a kind of secondary suffering, which is your reaction to it, which, you know, you kind of tense up, you get nervous around it, uh, you stop doing the things that, that, that you enjoy because you, you kind of start to fear them. And what mindfulness can do is kind of help you understand that secondary suffering better. And hopefully, there's no guarantee, obviously, but hopefully kind of help you with that secondary suffering. You know, there's there's no way it will be able to take away the, the physical pain if, if something is, is broken or, or there, but it will help you kind of relate to it better to explore it as, as a sensation rather than something you just don't want to engage with at all and I think that's where it kind of relates to the uh, mental health issues more generally is it helps you to um, rationalize those thoughts that come into your head and, and see them as as what they are which is just thoughts you know it helps you detach the meaning or the the meaning that you associate those thoughts with it helps you kind of what, what Yanni, my psychologist, said to me, it helps you put them on the workbench of your mind and focus back on your breath. And I thought that was one of the one of the best best things someone said to me. Um, and so yeah, from there I kind of um, my my dream after meeting Yanni was to become something like him, a clinical psychologist. But I was kind of a bit too far down the route of of my current career, and so I thought a way that that I could still be involved in kind of mental health would be to, to qualify as a mindfulness instructor. And 
and I started that last year and yeah weirdly enough I started it we got to the Thursday or the Wednesday of a of an intensive course and uh then the lockdown was announced <laughs> so, we, so we had to stop that and had to do the rest of it by zoom um which was was tricky but um but kind of you know it helped learn different skills in a different way um which i suppose was helpful <laughs> you can say that was bullshit as well if you want harry you know? <laughs> <laughs> and i suppose then you know with you you mentioned there about being a, a qualified mindfulness instructor could you why, why is that important? Because I do think that is important to, to kind of to quantify that, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I think, so for me, I've been looking at a course that was, I've been looking for a course that was A, accessible for someone with, with my level of money and um, my level of time, and but also kind of accredited because, you know, you can, it's pretty easy to do a search for, mindfulness instructor on google or whatever um and actually from my understanding there's no official accreditation so you don't have to be qualified in anything to teach it but i wanted a course that had some recognition because um getting to the point i think there's a lot of kind of snake oil salesmen who will tell you that you know mindfulness can cure your depression mindfulness can i don't know make you into some kind of zen god or you know there's yeah it goes back to that that what i said earlier there's a lot of bullshit around it and and actually that's not particularly helpful because there are there's some really good science behind some of the stuff that mindfulness is meant to do for you and another book that i would that i would really recommend people read is by uh two guys called richie davidson and and daniel goleman who are scientists i think one's at harvard and one's at, at ucla so they're you know they're professors in science and they've written a book called the science of meditation which kind of debunks all the stuff that's um that that's true about what it can do for you all the stuff that is potentially true we need more research and all the stuff that no this doesn't do this for you um so getting back to the point i wanted an accreditation that uh, a qualification that had some kind of relevance behind it so the one that I did was um, approved by the British Psychological Society so I thought that gave me uh, that gave the course a, a good grounding but there are other ones um, there's the Oxford Centre for Mindfulness which is is doing fantastic research and is quite closely associated with um with with the university um, so I think if, it, if the advice I'd give to people if they're looking for a, uh, a mindfulness teacher or something like that is to look for someone who's got a proper qualification and accreditation and always be wary of somebody who tells you that it can cure all your ills because it can't <laughs> yeah absolutely I, I suppose that goes for I mean probably goes for any type of treatment really with regards yeah. to to mental health particularly with you know with this type of thing really is that the, the a lot of it's not about cure and it's not about that really is it it's 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 sort not of more, managing, isn't it? yeah. exactly it's more nuanced than that as you say and you know you mentioned uh, like a mind uh, at the top harry and, and you do mindfulness lessons mindfulness sessions as, yeah. as as part of that and as part of the work that you do so could you explain to us what 
your sessions, what your lessons would consist of, and what they would sort of look like to uh, to anyone who would be taking part? Yeah, so I think I think the first thing to say on that is that I would never say mindfulness is the one. It's not going to work if you just do it by itself. So for me, it was a combination of of antidepressants, mindfulness, cognitive behavioural therapy, talking therapies, and and getting back to exercise, getting back to do doing the things I love, and they they all kind of interlink and and, and relate to each other. So that's the first thing that I would say. But the way the the lessons work is you could either take a uh, there's kind of two or three schools of thought. So the the school of training that I did merges um, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy and mindfulness-based stress reduction, which are the two kind of main academically researched schools of thought, one coming out of Oxford and one coming out of um, the University of Massachusetts. Uh, so they kind of merge into a kind of eight-week course where you're encouraged to do homework every day. So it might be 10 minutes of meditation in the morning, 10 minutes of meditation in the evening. But I like to um, to make sure that those are kind of adjusted to the individual person. Um, you can do it in a group setting, that's fine. But I think most people get more benefit out of doing it with something that's tailored to them. So that might be something like uh, a body scan meditation where they can take a bit longer over it. Or, you know, if somebody is... Um, is very busy, it might be kind of adapting that so they could do it on their commute or um, having kind of a breathing anchor meditation or that, that kind of thing. So I like to make it very kind of adjusted to to the the, the person that that comes. Um, yeah, I suppose that's 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 it really. Um, what do you what do you tend to find people people get out of the of the sessions and get out of the lessons what are the sort of outcomes that the that you know the people that you work with kind of yeah kind of come away with i think the key message of that is the more you put in the more you get out so i gave the example of how i started it i did kind of one 10 minute meditation and thought oh this is crap i'm never going to do it again <laughs> that's never going to work for anyone <laughs> i think the key thing is repeatability so finding a time of day that works for you to do it and making it consistent. It's kind of about building it as a habit so that you carry on doing it. And I think something that's especially important is carry on doing it after you've got better or carry on, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily a tool for people to get better. It's a tool for people. I think that's one of the beauties of it is that just because you're good doesn't mean you can't kind of safeguard your mental health or you can't make make your kind of general well-being better and there's um there's a really cool guy I don't know if you've heard of him he's called Dan Harris and he's done a lot of he uh, work with with uh he was a news anchor on I think it was like ABC or something in America and had um he was he was basically addicted to cocaine and, and drugs and had a panic attack live on Good Morning America in front of you know millions of people and, and came to mindfulness through that and his kind of um attitude to it his whole thing is called 10% happier so his thing is that that the baseline for him is that it will make him 10% happy and anything from that is a bonus um, and I think that's a really good mantra to go into it that if you do 10 minutes a day 
you can do as little as 10 minutes a day and there's scientific research that shows that that will make you potentially 10% happier. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's a really nice way of looking at it because I think for a lot of people who are either thinking about engaging with their with their mental health or have or have started it, it can feel quite daunting and it can feel like you know a, a sort of a long road and there's a there's an awful lot to do and and you know as as we've said it before in this episode Harry and as you know as as has been said by a number of people on the on on on, on various different platforms is that it, it's an ongoing thing and it's not something that you'll be able to solve overnight and it might not be something that you can ever cure or fix but it's about managing it in the long term so i think giving people an option where it's something that they can do in small chunks and something that they can have those kind of small wins and marginal gains i think is important mm. for people to know that that option is out there if they're not feeling as though they're able to tackle it in one kind of big mass if you see what i mean which can be quite yeah. overfacing i think for a lot of people yeah and there's a reason sorry god no no go on Harry, go on, mate. well i was gonna say there's a reason why it's called mindfulness practice which is because it's constant practice you know even the the dalai lama or whatever isn't going to sit down one day and not have any thoughts passing through his head like the more you fail at meditation and mindfulness the better you're going to become at it which i think is one of the one of the real beauties of it and and the fact that it's a practice means that you can kind of see incremental improvements the more you do it yeah absolutely and and, and it's the type of thing as well from from the reason that i've done and from you know i've got some friends who are who are you know have on and off been 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 doing mindfulness and it's the type of thing that you can do on an ongoing basis kind of at home isn't it as well it doesn't require you to go to see a therapist or to see someone which again is something that can be prohibitive to people yeah absolutely that's one of the you don't need any special equipment you just need somewhere comfy to lie down or to sit or to stand um and you can even adapt it to to you know doing it while you're out for a walk or you know it's very mindfulness is very adaptable to to different environments um and kind of one another thing that I would add to that is that I don't really think, well, anyone who says they're good at mindfulness is probably lying <laughs> or not doing it properly. You know, it's a very, it can be a very frustrating thing because one day you might sit down and do it and, and feel very calm and not have many negative thoughts or not engage with the negative thoughts that come into your head. And another day you might be flooded with them. But actually, the days that you're flooded with them, the important thing is that you did it and that the, the days that you feel really bad doing it are going to be beneficial in the long run to you. Yeah, that's that's a really good message, that. And I think that goes for a lot of things with regards to when you're trying to try something different and try something new, is that it won't, won't always work. You won't always get it right. But each time you do it, you will get you know, as you say, a little bit better or a little bit closer to where you want to be with it, I suppose. Um, you alluded to it before, Harry, with regards to um, the science behind mindfulness. And I know that there probably will be people listening or people that you may have spoken to and probably do on a regular basis who look at mindfulness as a 
as a pseudoscience or maybe something that isn't for them and their idea of meditation is you know sitting cross-legged and going um and the type of things they may have seen in films and tv over the years how do you kind of normally engage with with that type of attitude towards mindfulness and, and what kind of things do you often say to people if if, if you come across that yeah well i would say that you know it's, it is not for everyone it might not it you know there's no guarantee that will work for you but i think the kind of biggest advocate of it i suppose is the fact that uh, mindfulness stress reduction came out of uh, a, a hospital a, a university the university of massachusetts with john cabot zim and mindfulness-based cognitive therapy came out of oxford university and so many universities now have dedicated not even just parts of a psychology or psychiatry department dedicated to it they have centers dedicated to it like ucla in the us has a center dedicated to it the oxford mindfulness center is very closely associated with the university um there's a lot of good research done by very skeptical people coming out um and there's been a few kind of meta-analysis that have shown um, that have shown good benefits from it. Um, so that's what I would say is, is look at look at the people that are doing the research onto it. Um, and 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 um, and that book that I spoke about, the three books that I spoke about earlier by Danny Penman, uh, Richie Davidson, and Dan and Dan Goldman, really outline the uh, the potential benefits and support what they say with scientific backing. Um, and I think another important point to say is that, yes, there are um, promising results from it, um, but a lot more research is needed um, to really substantiate whether some of the claim benefits actually stand up to science. And the research is at quite an early stage, but that's not to say that that it won't help you it's to say that um it's promising um and that you know i think it's very easy to um to also dismiss something that helps someone because we don't know why it helps someone if that makes any sense so you yes. know yeah some people get incredible benefits from going for a long walk or from even just talking to a friend. So I think there's a notion that it can still be quite valuable, even if, uh, if, if it works for you, if it works for you is what I'm trying to say, I guess. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's spot on. And I think, as you say, it's, it's finding the thing that works for you. And what I, I kind of like about mindfulness is that it is very easy for, it, it, you know it's the type of thing as you say that is easy for people to to do on their own and to find their own way of doing it and it's not necessarily the same for everybody and it doesn't necessarily work the same for everybody and i think that's that's a really important message there harry is about finding the thing that works for you and not worrying about what other, what other people think or how it works for other people and it's all about kind of what it does for you and how you can make it work for yourself yeah. i suppose then finally for anybody listening honey who's, who's looking for any type of therapy you know including mindfulness what would your one piece of advice be to them um i think the most important thing 
is to try things. So I'm incredibly lucky that the the, the antidepressants I start on, I, I feel I haven't get benefit from them still. Well, that might not be the case for someone else. It's important to try CBT or um, exercise, all those kind of things. It's important to have a, um, a kind of holistic program for yourself that's not just based on one thing because I don't think no no one thing is going to be a kind of a panacea for for helping all of all of mental health issues and and the one the one kind of quote that that I really always go back to is by a guy called Viktor Frankl who is um he was a uh, I think he was a psychiatrist or a psychologist but he was uh, an Austrian Jew in, in, in the 1940s and got taken to Auschwitz and, and saw kind of, you know, some of the most evil things in the world. But his, his kind of, he managed to survive and wrote some really influential books. And, and his kind of quote was that, I'm going to butcher it, but it's essentially that between the stimulus of something and, and the response, there's, there's a space. And in that space lies your, your kind of, own power to choose how you respond to it and that's what I like about mindfulness and CBT is that it gives you that space to respond and to realize that a stimulus or a thought doesn't necessarily have to be real or, or, or control your behavior. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you would like to find out more about Man Marking, you can follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at Marking underscore man. And don't forget to use those hashtags, where's the talking lads and you're worth taking care of. To find out more about Harry and Lag on Mind, you can find them on Twitter. Their Twitter handle is at Lag on underscore mind. And you can also head over to their website, which is lagonmind.com. Harry's actually also got a, a podcast, which is well worth checking out. And you can get that in all the usual podcast places. Just say it's Lag on Mind. And if you've enjoyed today's episode of the podcast or any of our others, then please head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a subscribe and a review. And it really helps us to reach more listeners and grow the podcast. Tomorrow we'll be bringing you episode number five, which is with psychologist Seth J. Gillahan, who is a, a psychologist from the United States, and we'll be discussing CBT therapy. So we'll look forward to that one tomorrow.